This is Asha Voices. I'm JD Gray. A good mentor can provide guidance, help you avoid pitfalls, offer support, and give a listening ear or an affirming voice. In honor of National Mentoring Month, we're republishing two conversations from the podcast archive that demonstrate the possibilities of strong mentoring relationships. First, SLPs in Chicago share their story. They started as client and clinician, and their relationship transformed into peers and then friends. In the second half of the episode, we hear from two bilingual SLPs. The way they met would have been impossible just a few years ago. Hear what resulted from this international mentorship. I'm JD Gray, and this is Asha Voices. Support for Asha Voices comes from Power Diary, a complete practice management system perfect for speech, language, and hearing professionals. Head on over to www.powerdiary.com to learn more about the 100 powerful features that can benefit you and your practice. Join a live demo or start a free trial today at www.powerdiary.com. Our first duo has known each other for more than 35 years. Shortly after Arnell Brady began practicing as an SLP in Chicago in the 1980s, a young Jonathan Love came to his office. Today, Jonathan and Arnell are both SLPs. Jonathan has experience working in schools and working with school-aged children in private practice. Arnell has worked in private practice exclusively since 1995. Jonathan is a person who stutters, and when the two first met, he was visiting Arnell, whom he calls Mr. Brady, to receive speech-language services. I, I just remember being picked up from school from either my mom or dad, and I was rushing to get to Hyde Park. Hyde Park is in Chicago, going up the elevators in this old bank. And they had this 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 uh, tile on the floor. And the reason why I mentioned the tile on the floor is because we would usually get there first. And I will always know Mr. Brady's coming because you would hear his feet on the tile. Click, clack, 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 clack. And so we'll say, oh, Mr. Brady's here. We can hear his feet. <laughs> so that's how it all began. What do you remember about those days, Arnell? Jonathan was uh, quite a kid. Uh, he was really very easy to to work with because of the of the type of parents that he had. His parents had prepared a a, a very mannerable child, uh, a child who liked to play, and so uh, my therapy <laughs> was based around play uh, because he was young. But he was about five, uh, five I think, going on six, and. He liked to play, and I found out that he loved wrestling. So most of my therapy involved wrestling figures and wrestling matches and things of that nature. That's what I remember about Jonathan. And we fast forward a little bit, and now he's an SLP like yourself. Do you remember when he said he wanted to be an SLP when he told you that? Uh, no. Uh, as a matter of fact, he did come to me while he was in uh, college. And that's when I discovered that he wanted to be an SLP. Yeah, yeah. so it was interesting because I met Xavier and Mr. Brady had changed locations. And so my dad said, you know what? Guess who I found? <laughs> so, he said, so I found Mr. Brady on 85th uh, uh, in the Cottage Grove in a little office building. And so he said, I got his number and I want you to call him. And so because we so th there was a there was a little lapse of time between me receiving therapy and going off to uh, college. 
And so I decided just to you know go into the field and we have been looking and looking and looking and looking. You know, nowadays you have Google. Back then we didn't have Google. So if you wanted to find somebody, you had to really, really find them. So my dad was just driving down the street and I guess he must have saw saw the sign. Yeah, had a, a big yeah. sign in the window. The window was uh, yeah, the win- yeah. And so he said, "Wait a minute, let me let me go in here." And so that's that's how we we reconnected. And ever since then, it's it's, it's been as as the kids say, on on the popping. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me about that. What has your mentorship looked like? Well, I remember I had to do some hours during the summer. Mr. Brady helped me out with that. Just, just conversations really, you know, it it was, it was going to the university of Northern Iowa where I experienced some difficult, challenging conversations with some professors. Mr. Brady's words of wisdom really helped me to understand how to just play the game do what the professors say to do, follow along, don't don't agitate the system because there's no need to agitate the system. They have something that you need. You go, you get it, and you graduate and you get out. Mentorship just kind of began just getting through school. Um and just having an outlet to say, man, this is what I'm I'm experiencing it. And then him giving me a different view. Because when you're young, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, you think you do no wrong. You know, everybody is like against you. So to have have somebody who can actually tell me, because at that time, I, I didn't really take advice too well from anybody, really, except for my dad and Mr. Brady. So, you know, he, he was one of the few people that I could listen to and say, OK, you're right. I'll take that point of view from you. What do you remember about those times? Well, Jonathan is a very vocal person. He's a leader. He's brilliant. And so he is going to challenge the system. But you have to know when to hold them, when to fold them, and when to play them. And although we both were uh, have been students of integrated in education, uh, there were some things that we still needed to learn at the secondary level. And uh, even though we both went to integrated secondary schools, the minority was very, very small. Uh, At uh, my St. Xavier, I think I'm the only black man to ever have graduated from uh, St. Xavier University in the speech language pathology program. And I think I'm one of few to have graduated from the Northwestern University uh, School of Speech Language Pathology. But When we are placed in those types of situations, we do run into some racism from the professors uh, at some of those institutions, and it can give you a very difficult time. And that was one of the warnings I, I gave to Jonathan, is to, in some situations, do not directly challenge the professors. Uh, You are there to get what they have and get out. Uh, you're not there to try to educate them or to persuade them to see things your way. You are simply there to gather as much information as you can from them and move on. Your better life will be after graduation. So let your goal be to graduate. And, and this is a very, a very important conversation for 
for speech paths that are of a multicultural ethnic background. I didn't get this counsel from the university. And of course, you can't always go to your friends to get counsel because they're at the same level as you are. And so to be able to have that outlet probably saved me, probably allowed me to actually finish the course and not buck this because I wanted to buck. I wanted to just go. <laughs> I wanted to go go at it. And this is my Malcolm X movement. This is my Dr. King movement. <laughs> and so having that outlet definitely, definitely helped. And he also introduced me to in Basel, where I met even more mentors. Arnell is very familiar with mentorship. He says he has two nieces who are SLPs as well, and he mentored them. In our conversation, he emphasized the importance of learning from a mentor. Jonathan shared that Arnell's mentorship helped him in his personal life and in his profession. Here's Arnell sharing another lesson he passed on to Jonathan. One of the one of the things I did intentionally want to do, and that was to demonstrate to Jonathan how he could be independent in this field because there are so very few males and and there's exceptionally even a smaller number of black males in this field. And when you go into different institutions, you're going to be a very, very rare sort of bird. And being a black male, you're going to run into that racism. So I tried to demonstrate to Jonathan that one of the best ways to survive in this field is to be independent, is to go into private practice, to be able to be your own boss, because there is such a critical need for speech language pathologists in this country, you have an abundance of potential clients. And so if you would just have the courage and just have the discipline to be independent, to have your own private practice, to have your own business, you'd be able to survive much better and to be able to support a family without the stress uh, that could be placed on you in some of these institutions. Yeah. And he helped me to understand you can have your own medical insurance. You can create your own pension plan. You can create, you don't have to just fall in love with, oh, they're giving me all these benefits. You can create your own benefits. Even to this day, when when we were sharing uh, the office space. You share an office space? Yes, like we, we were sharing an office space uh, for about what, a good two, two or three years. And, and, and Jonathan always has a room. I have a very large clinic space. And Jonathan always has a place in my clinic, always. But he likes to go out on his own and do his own thing. And so. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. nowadays, nowadays, I have a. a a beautiful daughter. Her name is Olivia. So most of her activities are happening after school hours. Right now, I'm kind of in that stage of being soccer dad, dance dad. <laughs> I'm taking her here and taking her there. But the conversations that Mr. Brady and I have, either on the phone or in person, it helps. So I encourage everyone to get a mentor, but not just... Not just a mentor in the professional sense, like, okay, let me check in with, with this person. Like, the reason why Mr. Brady and I get along so well is because I don't look at him as a mentor. Like, that's my friend. You know, like that's that's my guy. I mean, I would never call him Arnell. Like, I've never called him Arnell 
ever because of the respect that I have for him. But he's always Mr. Brady, but like that is my right hand man. If we go to conventions, we're checking in. If we haven't talked for a number of days, we're going to check in. Not because we're trying to fill out a piece of paper and become mentor of the year or mentee of the year, but because there's a genuine love and care there. That fosters through speech pathology, but it fosters through church and family. He knows my family well. I know his family well. And mentorship has to include a level of love and care and desire to just want to know the person. Mentorship went from, I'm a client, to, okay, you're in speech, to, you're my friend. You're my friend. And so mentorship should be really close to friendship. It should be. Mentorship is based upon a developmental attitude. And that developmental attitude means that that mentor must have the best interest of that mentee in mind. That mentor must want to see that mentee develop and become the best of their full potential. They want that mentee to be independent and self-sufficient and happy above all other things. Arnell, as you look back at this relationship and as your role as a mentor, how does it make you feel to see Jonathan now working in the same community that you worked in for decades before? Well, I'm a father, and I'm a grandfather. And our aim, our goal is to see our children, our grandchildren, our mentees become independent to be self-sufficient, to be happy in what they are doing, to have a family like Jonathan has, and to see him raising his daughter with a developmental attitude. You ask, how does that make us feel? It makes us feel in a way that words cannot describe. The Bible often talks about things uh, that you can see are temporal, but things like love, and that developmental attitude, those are eternal things that you really can't see, but you can feel them. So I'm, I'm past happy. It's joy. It's joy to see him doing well. It's joy to see him now passing it on. It's pure joy. It's interesting because his birthday was yesterday and my dad's birthday is today. When my dad passed, I'm I'm sitting here and I'm I'm going through my emotions and I'm thinking like, man, Mr. Brady is is like I, I that's the person I go to, you know, like any conversations that I miss with having with my dad, I can have it with Mr. Brady because he's going to give me the same type of of answers. So, you know, like that's how that is. Like that's 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 how great our 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 situation has been. I want to thank you both so much for your time and for sharing your mentorship, your relationship with each other, and how that's evolved with our audience and with me today. Thank you. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, thank you for, for having us. 
Today, Jonathan says he's taken his own role as a mentor with the next generation of SLPs. He says he now has three or four SLPs who come to him, and he's sharing the same things Arnell shared with him. Jonathan says he's just paying it forward. We're taking a quick break, and we'll be back with a duo that met in quite a different way. Support for Asha Voices comes from Power Diary. Work smarter, not harder. Power Diary is the complete practice management system for speech, language, and hearing professionals, offering more than 100 powerful features, including appointment scheduling, client messaging, soap notes, telehealth portal, payment integrations, and much, much more. Let Power Diary simplify and streamline your day-to-day operations so you can take care of clients, not admin. Join a live demo or start a free trial today. Learn more at www.powerdiary.com. Our next guest may challenge what you picture when you think of a mentor-mentee relationship. SLP's Ingrid Owens-Gonzalez and Lisa Selvaracha met online during the pandemic. Ingrid is a school-based SLP in New Mexico. She also runs a private practice. Lisa is in Montreal. She works in private practice as well, and she also has experience working in the schools. She's a clinical educator from McGill University. But despite living hundreds of miles away from each other and in different countries, they found they share experiences as bilingual SLPs. Lisa speaks first. During the pandemic, a lot of us felt quite a bit of isolation, not just personally, but even professionally. We didn't have our colleagues that we would regularly go to. Not everybody was comfortable with getting online and just jumping on these calls like we are now. I was facing a lot of microaggressions at work, and it just made it more and more difficult to collaborate and to just do my job. I'm interrupting briefly for those unfamiliar with the term microaggressions. When defining microaggressions, I turn to author and past Asha Voices guest Ijoma Aluo. In her book, So You Want to Talk About Race, she calls microaggressions, quote, small daily insults and indignities perpetuated against marginalized or oppressed people because of their affiliation with that marginalized or oppressed group, end quote. I was seeing more conversations on social media about microaggressions and different SLPs of color, bilingual SLPs that were going through things that I was going through. I started meeting SLPs online and then I was brought to My Speech Blend, which is Ingrid's handle, because she had just done a Clubhouse segment on microaggressions. And Clubhouse, that's another social network that's audio-based. Yes, I wrote to Ingrid on Instagram, not thinking I would hear back for the next, you know, week or month. And she wrote me right back and invited me to a Zoom call. And she mentioned that she goes through everything that I go through, but all the way in the U.S. And then she invited me to Clubhouse and I met a bunch of other bilingual SLPs who are all going through the same thing. But just this beautiful, creative blend of people making the field better. So you're experiencing microaggressions, so you sought community online, and that's how you found Ingrid. Ingrid, tell me about your side of the story. I started a bilingual SLP clubhouse group because clubhouse was really new back then. I got really lucky to be on, I think it was actually a supervision panel. So I was going and kind of representing the school-based supervisors and just giving advice to future clinical fellows on clubhouse. And I did that one panel and I was hooked. I'm like, this is great. It's like a live party conversation. People go in and out. They raise their hand. They're in and out of the 
uh, stage, as we call it, uh, whenever you feel like you can talk, you go in and talk. But we started very informally, uh, just wanting to build community. And very quickly, it turned into a safe space for a lot of us to commiserate and, and share a lot of difficult topics. And then I decided that we needed to kind of have more guided discussion about those difficult topics because I was hearing a lot of guilt from a lot of people of how they responded or how they didn't respond or why they didn't do enough. And then I know that I felt like that before in the past. So I wanted to do a little bit of digging. Like I, whenever I'm stressed, I just seek out information. I even just wanting to know where the term microaggression came from. Then learning new terms like a microaggression towards me about being Spanish speaking is not the same as a racial abuse, really, that my colleagues of color or my black SLP colleagues are experiencing. It's not the same. And there's names for it and there's people researching it. So that's kind of where we were on Clubhouse when Lisa found me. In some mentorship programs, we might think of one person passing down information from their experience over many years. This is maybe a different situation in which it's a little flatter in that yeah. way. We're all learning from each other and building community. I learned so much. That's where I met Desi. She is one of our very, very good friends, too. We started the Bold SLP Collective together, Lisa, Desi, and myself, and we met on Clubhouse. And JD, you were asking about mentorship relationships. And I wasn't really looking for a mentor when I reached out to Ingrid. I was just looking for someone, anyone who understood what I was going through. And then she kind of turned into a mentor. Like everything that happened to me, I wanted to run it by Ingrid to see if this is normal. Is this what the other SLPs go through where you are? <laughs> well, when we talk about mentorship, I think a lot of times we might picture professionals sharing advice or guidance between different generations or at least different stages in their career. And so I'm wondering what makes you feel comfortable in calling Ingrid a mentor and using that term mentor? It's exactly what you're saying. I used to think of mentors as the traditional, like, answer my questions, basically. You're older, you're wiser, you've been doing it for longer. But over the pandemic, it, I didn't have those SLP-related questions. I didn't want to know, like, how to run assessments or, you know, what do I do about billing? I wanted to know personal lived experiences with what to do with children of color, what to do with all these kids that don't fit inside our SLP box and don't fit in with what we were taught in grad school. I was looking for that and it didn't seem like it fell under like a mentor because I thought that mentor fell into that like academic box and that's not at all what I was looking for. And now I'm seeing that this is what we all need is someone who understands the experiences that we're going through and can tell us how they got through it. You began the conversation by saying that part of what led you to look for community online was that you're experiencing microaggressions at work. To me, that kind of raises a question or, or it makes me wonder if for this specific situation, if maybe in the immediate place you were working or in your community where you lived, if you had access to someone that would have had the lived experience to play that mentor role. No, I didn't. When I heard from Lisa, she did also say that she had reached out to other SLPs on Instagram before she found me. And 
she was met with the empty, oh, I'm so sorry, or oh, I can't believe that happens. <laughs> and that's not what we need when we're going through something. I think we need that person who's lived it and it's like, oh, I get it and it stinks and I'm here for you. Part of this is sympathy, but what else did you talk about? What else were some of the, maybe the lessons or the advice or the mentorship that you're able to provide around this situation? I got lucky with the company that I work for. I have relationships with my coworkers. So I didn't just kind of feel this and be sad about it and kind of walk away like that. I had conversations, very difficult conversations with each of them about what they had said, what they had done that made me feel this way. And none of them, of course, meant to do any of that. You know, these offhanded comments or just ignoring things until you get a stamp of approval from someone white, like that kind of stuff. They just didn't even realize they were doing it. So that was extremely helpful to have those conversations. But I didn't have the vocabulary for the conversations until I met the Clubhouse SLPs. On that Zoom, the conversation quickly went from microaggressions to our practice, just like the deeper, like, why are you experiencing these things? Because like Lisa mentioned, like she already is bold and she had already told these people how she felt that piece was done. But now she's like, why is this happening? And why do I feel like I'm so different from them? And I'm like, I'm doing the same things you are. Like I'm doing a dynamic assessment and I'm doing intake interviews a different way. And I'm, you know, taking cultural considerations into account because I don't have another choice out here. I'm the only bilingual SLP and I don't have anyone to collaborate with. And I think where I came in more like a mentor was validating those skills. Like those are strong skills you have, Lisa, because, you know, of your lived experience as a bicultural bilingual person. Yeah, that's what I meant by the vocabulary. So like, I never thought to call it a dynamic assessment. I call them informal because they weren't formal like the standardized tests. But there's something about the word informal that just discredits it. Like a parent reads informal and thinks, okay, well, when are you going to do the formal one? Lisa says that after she heard someone refer to dynamic assessments in Clubhouse, she used the term with her coworkers. That experience was able to open doors for her. Here's Ingrid on dynamic assessment. Dynamic assessment is just not static. That's all it is. So dynamic assessment is any kind of approach where you're going beyond what's in the protocol. Uh, one big one, and my background is in psychology, and the one that I always go back to is the zone of proximal development. How much can you support this student if they're right there on the cusp of getting that skill to help them get that skill? That's kind of my basis that I come from, from the dynamic assessment. How much can you support? And then that gives me so much information. But on a lot of standardized assessments, supports are not allowed. <laughs> Even uh, repetitions not allowed. You're testing memory for language, and you know that a student just needs to hear that phrase one more time, but the protocol is telling you, you will invalidate the test if you repeat it just one more time. <laughs> so you have to get creative. So that's one main way to do it. Lisa, that reminds me of a story that you told me about an assessment item that included a lunchbox. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, one of my favorite TikTok stories. Okay, I was doing K4 screeners. So the four-year-olds, they would just get these quick little 
questions and moments with a speech therapist just to see how they'll fare in kindergarten language-wise. Part of that is regular, like your name, how old are you, what kinds of things do you like to eat, what kinds of things do you like to do, just getting a feel of their vocabulary. I was working with this one little Indian girl who was just flying through everything. I mean, no worries at all. And then when we got to the food items, I asked her what she liked to eat, and she didn't respond. In a standardized way, I should have just asked one more time and then zero and moved on. But I knew that she was fine up until this moment, so something seemed to be blocking her. So then I asked her, well, what's in your lunchbox today? And she still didn't want to answer. And I wasn't sure if she had nothing in her lunchbox or didn't want to tell me what was in her lunchbox. But I had a feeling that she was feeling what I used to feel as a child, which is othered from the white standard. So I told her in my lunchbox, I had biryani, which is a Sri Lankan dish we eat. And she said, I have chapati. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then she went on to tell me all the other things in her lunchbox that were not, you know, standard American Canadian type of meals or food. So yeah, she got her full points and that was that. So that's one way to dynamically assess. She, she thought the expectation was not just to answer the question, but to answer it in a way that reflected a, a diet that was different than hers. Yes, exactly. So we've talked a little bit about what you've learned from each other and how you've met. And we've talked about how your relationship and this mentorship looks different from what we might have had as a preconceived notion of a mentorship that, you know, is cross-generational. I'm wondering if your mentorship, if this type of mentorship reflects something about how mentorships might be changing and evolving either with technology or with culture. I hope so. I really hope so. I I don't really care about the age. That's not really anything for me. They could be much older. They could be the same age. Sometimes they, they could even be younger. There's some Instagram SLPs that are much younger than me that I'm just learning so much about their lived experiences. But I think that mentors, if they could share who they are as a whole, as a whole human and not just the SLP side of them, just to help us get through these little hurdles of like, workplace issues or hard conversations to have and not just the, the speech aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I agree a hundred percent Lisa and I think that's like the biggest gift that my mentors gave me in grad school treating me as an entire human and showing themselves to me as entire humans because they treated me as their colleague they over and over and over again reminded me you will be a part of this field in a couple of years so we want you to succeed. But I think what Lisa said is exactly right. I think it is a cultural shift in terms of showing up in mentorship, not just to be a teacher, but also to be vulnerable and to be open to learning. It's really like, here's my community. Like, what do you need? And I think that was a big part of why I considered you a mentor Ingrid at some point because you just introduced me to the whole community. You were like, I may not have the answers, but they will. I want to thank both of you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Outside of what Ingrid and Lisa are learning from each other, they are prioritizing mentorship in their careers. They're both a part of the ASHA Student to Empowered Professional, or STEP, mentoring program. Ingrid also co-founded and is the lead mentor for a bilingual SLP mentorship program called BEAM. Lisa is also a part of BEAM. 
Ingrid and Lisa, along with one of their Bold SLP Collective collaborators, also recently began offering a course. You can find solutions and strategies to prevent harm in bilingual and multicultural evaluations online. Check out the blog post for this episode of the podcast at on.asha.org podcast. You'll find links to information about ASHA's mentoring programs, including new mentor programs ASHA recently added. And are you looking for opportunities to learn and grow in your career? The ASHA Leadership Development Program begins accepting applications on January 26th, 2023. And the STEP Mentoring Program begins accepting applications on January 30th. Find links to both programs on the blog post for this podcast episode at on.asha.org podcast. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader Magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from Power Diary, the complete practice management solution. Join the demo today for a complete overview of the system and how it can benefit you and your practice. Visit www.powerdiary.com and click demo from the main navigation. Thanks for listening. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.